Granted. My name is Ahmed. And today I am joined by my co-host, Faisal. Say hello. Hi, guys. Excited to be here. Awesome. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. Oh, Where's your coffee? You're not... Yeah, yeah I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm also done as well. Well, first time, actually, in a very long time, I've had two coffees in one day. Um, I, I was telling you the other day, I mean, if it's a long day, you have to have coffee at, <laughs> at the morning and then one afternoon. That's true. <laughs> so today, guys, we are going um, to be talking about quite a few interesting topics. First article that we have today is from Bloomberg. And... It says SEC postpones the decision on Bitcoin ETF listing to September. And here it says the agency now has until this until 30th September to approve or disapprove or institute proceedings to determine whether the ETF should be listed on the CBOR markets. And because of this delay, it literally just sent Bitcoin crashing down and the whole market <laughs> with it too. And this is quite um, a big deal because ETFs is is one of the ways, right, to, to bring adoption and make it become a bit mainstream, right? And mainly investor money. So it's one of the best ways to bring in and attract big money. And for those of you who are already invested in cryptos, uh, you know that we are in a bloody market, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So let's actually go back a bit and explain what an ETF is. So for those of, of you who are unaware, um, an ETF is... Uh, it's an abbreviation for exchange traded fund and it's a type of security and this security is a fund that owns the underlying asset um, and this underlying asset could be um, shares of a stock bond um, gold or foreign currency but it could be whatever so this fund divides ownership of those assets into shares and those shares are then listed in the stock market and then these shares can be traded like stocks so, for example, I go on, uh, I want to uh, make in a gold ETF. I would then go buy a whole heap of gold, a whole hold of gold. I would store it in a warehouse. I'd make, I divide that into uh, many shares, and then I go and sell those shares um, on, the, on the market. And then what's good about that is, is that investors could come in and actually um, buy those shares, and then that basically means they're exposed to gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't need to really actually go out and buy gold and store it, you know, in their house or in a warehouse they have to have to build. They could just buy the the ETF that I created, and then they'd have exposure to gold. So these um, these big financial institutions want to do the same thing with uh, Bitcoin because it's actually very hard to buy Bitcoin, especially in a regulated fashion, and also to store it as well. So for institutional investors, like Faisal said, if you had to have a Bitcoin ETF that tracks, you know, the underlying asset, which is Bitcoin, and it could be traded on a, on a stock market, then it gives that institutional investor, it gives them a peace of mind and some confidence that, you know what, they could get into this asset class. Yeah, so basically it's kind of like abstract, abstracting the layer of the actual asset mm-hmm. by kind of, you could say, converting everything to the concept of stocks, where you can basically you know, trade the number, whatever you, I mean, you could be trading Bitcoins, but without actually having to buy a Bitcoin directly. And then, of course, like you said, um, getting rid of all the fuss around storing it, maintaining the wallets and all of these kind of things. Exactly. And so this is why 
um, having a ETF is seen to be such a big, you know, a, a big deal for the Bitcoin community and at least the whole crypto market in general because having a Bitcoin ETF would automatically take Bitcoin to the mainstream and allow allow all that big money to actually come in pour into the uh, market yeah to pour into the market um i think there was a tweet by vitalik the vitalik other day as well yeah well, could you remind me what I mean, it was he he was kind of uh, i mean this is uh, vitalik just being vitalik i mean he, this guy is so passionate about the industry about the technology that he says that um, there was too much interest in what the etf story mm. and how it would be turned out against the factor that turning this technology into mass adoption. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of leaning toward the latter approach of okay. turning this into um, a mass adoption. And he felt like the community is focusing too much on ETFs. Okay. And the thing is, I, I do get that. But at the same time, if you were to maybe flip it, you know, maybe having an ETF, which would allow exposure to institutional investors, could be a bridge or, you know, one approach to mass adoption. That, that is true. But, um, I mean, to think about it from his perspective, I believe what he means is that will that really get, um, for example, Bitcoin to be used to purchase your coffee? Mm -hmm. Will that have a direct impact into it? I mean, it certainly will allow investors um, to kind of have a new kind of uh, investment opportunity. But how much does it really fit or serve the, the common goal or the overarching goal of getting this blockchain or cryptocurrency features down to the daily life. I definitely um, get that point of view because it it really looks into the long term. Yeah, I, I mean, um, and and right now I don't think there is a right approach to going about this mm -hmm. because we are in a very big experimentation phase. So Vitalik's approach could be absolutely correct when it comes to mass adoption or his visions, but then ETFs also play some role yeah, into making role, yeah. this um, a mass adoption because. Once you get this into institutions, once institutions put their trust into it, they're going to drive the wheel forward as well. So right now, it's kind of, you know, requires a joint effort out of all the stakeholders to mm. get to the common goal. And uh, this actually takes us on to the um, next piece of news that we have, which is Binance unveils demo of new decentralized cryptocurrency exchange. So uh, for those of you who are unaware, Binance is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, which in the white paper, the initial white paper, they basically stated they will be doing a, um, a centralized exchange. And then as they go along, they will make sure that the, the end goal would become a decentralized exchange. Um, Faisal, do you want to touch on what centralized and decentralized exchanges are? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me personally, this is really exciting news. Uh, I feel like this is... Um, although they claim that this is a very initial level and it's a high view and it's just a demo, but this for me is like a big milestone because there are a couple of other projects who are progressing, but um, an exchange like Binance, who is kind of, I guess it's the world's biggest exchange, to, to kind of release that demo. And by the way, they state in the, in the news article that they are a couple of months ahead of schedule. So they're really putting their effort into this. And... That kind of milestone only says that the, the entire industry is really serious about this. So just to give uh, a bit of context, I mean, for, for those people who are um, 
traders in crypto. You would you would be familiar with exchanges like Kraken, Coinbase, Bitrix, um, Poloniex, and so on. So these exchanges are called centralized exchanges. What they basically mean is that there's a central entity who is managing, who is hosting the technology behind it, who is having the entire team to run that exchange and all its features and facilities. Um, the, the, how central ex- centralized exchanges work is that that exchange itself, they hold the custody of the assets that you're trading. And the other thing is, and this is somehow concerning to the enthusiast of the industry, is that they hold the, your private keys. So they hold the key. So in that case, if that exchange gets hacked or something, then all your assets are at risk because you're, you, they have the, 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 the access to your private key. So hackers will get like a mass, they, they will get their hands on a mass number of private keys and wallets. Now, the concept of decentralized exchange is, again, following the whole beauty of decentralization where you actually disintermediate any kind of node. You don't put all your power into one node, into one entity, rather than putting it into a group, a large group of people or entities or whatever. So Binance, they kind of released their initial demo of actually having that exchange functional. It was a road demo. The video is up there in the news article that we'll post in the show notes. Uh, It's a command line uh, interface kind of demo. But it, it shows the, the essence of it. I mean, they could have cre- they they sh- they've shown that they created the coin, they sent it to another wallet, and so on, and the entire process works fine. So for me, that's a very um, interesting uh, advancement when it comes to the decentralized exchanges, because that will kind of um, take away all the power from. No, I, I don't mean it in the sen- in a bad sense, but it will just disintermediate these entities, these centralized exchanges, and it will give you as a trader the opportunity to communicate with the buyer directly without having to deal with an exchange. So this is the basic functionality of a decentralized exchange. They just connect the buyer and the seller, and that's it. They don't go, I mean, the exchange does not get in the middle of the transaction, having to verify both sides and so on. Yeah, and I think it's, it's worthy to note that here, well, at least, so there have been many decentralized exchanges that have been up and running, such as BitShares, Waves, BitSquare, uh, and they've been targeting, you know, the crypto audience who understand um, how to go about and actually work on these exchanges. So on a decentralized exchange, trades happen on chain. So the order matching and the settling happens on chain. And because blockchains are still very slow in nature, it means that you can't have, you know, a million transactions per second. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is why centralized exchanges are very much in, that uh, they're very much used and popular because they can handle um, the scope and, and the demand when people come in and, and trade. And so then this, this on-chain clearing and settling becomes very important because like you've said, Faisal, you do not need the, you know, the man in the middle to actually clear and settle just happen on trade, um, sorry, on chain, but it will take quite a bit of time until we actually get to a point, or maybe if, if we do ever get to the point where uh, a completely decentralized exchange is able to handle that amount of um, transaction volume like we are currently seeing from the 
um, from the centralized exchanges. True, exactly. I mean, this is not to say that, um, I mean, decentralized exchanges are, you know, the solution to everything. In fact, there are some drawbacks to de de decentralized exchanges. One of them is the process that most of us are aware of, which is a know, know your customer and anti-money anti laundering uh, mechanisms or checkups. I mean, when it comes to a central exchange, they are responsible to do that process. And they will not allow you to get on board or create an account unless they verify your credentials and your background and so on. But when it comes to a decentralized exchange, how will that happen? Because you don't have to go through that process to enroll because you, you're directly connecting to the peer. You're not connecting to a central entity that manages anything. So it's interesting to see how Binance will, will spin it around. I mean, will they be also doing the KYC AML um, on the side or somehow? This is yet to be, to be seen and, and how the rollout will happen. Um, the the other thing that, um, that that is also kind of you know uh, hindering the progress of such technologies or such concepts is the legal part. I mean, when you have a central exchange, you are abiding by the the legal uh, aspects of that particular jurisdiction. But what happens when you are in a dis decentralized environment? Which jurisdiction do you do you abide to? You know, because like I said, the technology will not be hosted in a single entity. It will be hosted on a blockchain network. Yeah, which is nowhere, but also everywhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah, it's it's no, it's no, it's in not in a particular in a, a particular country. It's actually everywhere. So you could have nodes all over the world. So which legal kind of you know framework do you abide to? This is one of the challenges as well when it comes to decentralized exchanges. Absolutely, and I think it's also worthwhile mentioning that examples like Radar Relay and IDEX. They they literally just, I mean, we have these centralized exchanges already where people can come and actually create their own token and then go about, you know, just facilitating those trades. So how IDEX um, typically works is that it allows any ERC-20 token, mm -hmm. but it still does not allow sort of coins from other blockchains, other blockchains and it will be interesting to see how Binance would come into play because Binance the way they're doing it is they're doing it through them what they call it as Binance chain yeah so that also needs to be interoperable with other coins how they handle exactly. atomic swaps it will be very interesting to see how they they, they they go about doing that yeah but but I mean like we always say this is like a grand experiment mm -hmm. so it's it's very important to see these efforts going on uh, and very interestingly from these big players. I mean, when Binance does something like that and rolls out um, a very raw kind of demo where they could have waited for something to be, you know, flashy and fancy looking, that means that they are they really want to be the pioneers. Mm -hmm. And that will not only push the entire wheel of the industry, it will also, also push their competitors to kind of reach that milestones before them and get grab that early market share. So... It's, it's a very interesting, I would say, race to, towards decentralized exchanges, but there are a lot of um, steps that needs to be taken until then. And, and to take just 180 degrees to the, uh, to the other spectrum, um, you were just talking about big players sort of doing big things. Um, around two weeks ago, we've had a big player from the traditional world of finance um, called the Intercontinental Exchange. Mm -hmm. They own the New York Stock Exchange. 
and many other companies which operate within the, the financial markets. And they basically um, announced that they will be creating a digital asset exchange, oh, yeah. Yeah. which will completely comply with the regulations, as you could expect. And it will be called BACT, B-A-K-K-T. And this is very interesting because on one hand, you have, you know, Binance going, you know, fully decentralization. Whereas on the other, you have people from the traditional world coming in and saying, okay, now it's sort of our turn. We're centralizing everything so that it could become more mainstream. And the way I'm seeing it is, you know, if both parties do succeed in what they're doing, then you might just have a marketplace just for institutional investors. And then you have a decentralized exchange just for, retail people that could be it i mean yeah essentially it's uh, like you said um two two sides of the spectrum um one that's completely targeted towards decentralization and the other one they might not be ignoring decentralization but they have a different view of mainstream yeah uh, because um in in the in the world of investors and institutional um, entities with investors and so on that's their mainstream so they would like to do whatever it takes to bring those people into the market. But I guess eventually the entire market wins, yeah, uh, regardless of what happens. <laughs> uh, so this is like just pushing everything forward, which is, which is what everyone is trying to do eventually, except for the people who are, who've done a couple of ICOs and run away. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I guess those are not the, the good guys. Yeah, <laughs> these, these will not be sustainable. <laughs> Absolutely. To go on to, to, to the next article, this is very interesting. I really like this. Um, Tezos Foundation to issue grants for blockchain and smart contract research. The reason why this is interesting is because Tezos raised, I don't know, how much was it? Uh, it was around $230 million in yeah. 2017. I guess they were the biggest ICO in 2017 yeah. or the second biggest. I'm not sure. They completed it and then there were some governance issues. <laughs> Do yeah. you want to... Yeah, I mean, they, they, had, they had issues with, you know, the founders against the management and they've asked, the, I guess, the CEO to leave the company and then he wasn't uh, happy about that and it took a while and then, you know, legal issues started to surface and so on. And then they kind of, th- their image took a big hit. So, right, um, I mean, right now, besides the fact that they are go- doing this um, uh, granting research funds, they're also bringing in PwC, which is uh, one of the top four consultants in the world when it comes to auditing and finance, to actually do a complete audit on their company because they want to regain that image that they've lost during the, the during that run. So, like, I mean, Tezos is is offering like a, a grant fund for a couple of universities. Was it four mm-hmm. in that range? Four or five universities. And the sole purpose of that is to study the, 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 the concept of smart contracts and blockchain governance. And that's not just to serve them, but also to serve the community. And, and we really believe, and I think, Ahmed, you agree with me, this is really fascinating because academia will always have a role in any kind of new disruptive technology or potentially disruptive technology or a foundational technology because they look at things from the angle that is kind of stripped of any limitation. So they purely study the, the, the absolute bare power of any kind of technology, and they put the theory out there. So they're responsible into making the theory space as strong as possible so that someone down the line 
would kind of grab that theory and try to do something with it. So I believe that academia has a great role into this. And there are a lot of um, top universities in the world who are spending so much into this industry as blockchain, Oxford University being one of them. So it's all for the sole purpose of making the theory as strong as possible and studying new kind of approaches of doing things and what kind of uh, new opportunities all this brings together. So I believe this is very, very interesting. Yeah, so I think that in order to actually make their reputation and image a bit better, this sort of approach actually fares well. But what's also interesting about Tezos, even after all everything that's happened, I think they've actually they made quite a few strides in making the image better. Because mm-hmm. A, they went to mainnet. B, their delegation and baking process has been sort of very clear. And a lot of people have signed up to that. For those who are unaware, um, we'll probably not dive into it now because it's a bit technical. But it's really interesting because the concept of self-amending protocols, which um, the Tezos blockchain is, is trying to accomplish, is such an interesting concept that is really trying to bring how we usually do things from the traditional world, especially at the corporate and multinational company level, you know, to the blockchain. And it's actually happening right here and now because people can actually go buy Tezos and actually go delegate those um, tokens. And so I think the fact that they've actually done something, they actually put something out there online is a very, very good, is a very good step. Yeah, that's true. Besides, they have a cool name for their tokens, yeah? It's yes. called Tezis or Tezos, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a cool tezis, name, yeah, it's a cool, a funny cool name. name, yeah. Before before we wrap up here, there's also sort of one, one quick story I wanted to share as well. I mean, this is also um, tapping into exchanges. And it's really interesting, since the regulator in Thailand, I think it was, oh, yeah. made a few like indications and guidelines into how they want to regulate the space, they've had, like since in the past month, like 20 applications for um, a crypto exchange which is you know just it's just insane you know i don't understand how they will be able to cope with those numbers but it just shows to the um, extent how important exchanges are to the ecosystem exactly and this gives you a very good indication of how legal systems are starting to you know kind of uh, quote unquote drop their guards a bit and trying to be more and more flexible because um this is what where everyone is trying to head and the legal systems, although they might be a bit slow, but they have to kind of follow up. So I guess, yeah, I mean, Thailand coming on board, that will also open a whole new market into yeah, the... Definitely part the of the major market segment. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Those are all the stories we have for you for now. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. And we are very, much, very excited to be doing this on a weekly basis as well as having a few interviews here and there which we will post as we um, keep doing so please sort of tune in um if you do not like anything we've said let us know <laughs> yeah <laughs> if sure you do like them also let us know as we'd well love, we'd love to hear your feedback guys i mean this is very important to us so that we can make this uh, podcast as close and as fun for you guys as possible exactly i mean we are on twitter as well um and also Instagram at encrypted. So just spell out encrypted and 
the 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 last e before the d <laughs> remove that and just put an underscore that's yeah. our tag so it's e n c r y p t underscore d <laughs> this is us tag. trying to be fancy <laughs> yeah that's well not to be honest with you i wanted to get the actual name but it was but, uh, yeah, that's already but taken. the underscore makes it pretty cool because yeah. then it actually you know makes it encrypted real really encrypted you know mm-hmm. with the underscore yeah so um do check us up on on social media um let us know what you think um and how can people get in contact with you uh, i know you have a very like football orientated um, twitter account, so, <laughs> yeah um, i mean my twitter account is just about football and how crazy i am about it but yeah please drop me a message on uh, instagram we normally check these uh, direct messages online you can also follow me on my personal account happy to be in touch with any of you guys and for those of you who are invested kindly hold into there <laughs> we're getting through this <laughs> is this financial advice or you just oh no. no 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 <laughs> this is not financial advice okay good <laughs> all right awesome thanks a lot guys thank you guys bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Encrypted. We hope you've enjoyed it. We are on a mission of making blockchain an inspiring reality. So we thank you for supporting us on this journey. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help the show a lot. Thanks for joining us.